Well, good day, everyone. Today we begin a new series in the letter of James. Um, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter of James. You tell us in James that you have planted your word, the gospel, in our hearts uh, so that it might grow and bear fruit. James says that we must be doers and not just hearers of your word. So please be with us today, Lord. Please help us to listen and then help us to go and act on it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you can open your Bibles up to James chapter 1, that would be really helpful. And just look at verse 1. James wrote this letter from Jerusalem to the people of God who were scattered around the Roman Empire, scattered by either persecution or by trials, just the trials of life. Now, when I think of scattered people, I think of refugees, people who don't actually belong where they live. And that's an apt description of every Christian. You know, we live on earth. Christians are scattered right around the globe. But our home is actually in heaven. Now, when you think about it uh, for refugees and for Christians, life is hard when you live where you don't actually belong. Because people don't trust you. They, they don't. They're not sure of your allegiances. Um, You find yourself amongst people who have different values and attitudes and beliefs. And because life is hard, people who don't belong soon realise that life would be a lot easier if they just changed, you know, dropped their values, changed their beliefs and assimilated into the culture around them. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever thought like that, that You know, if I just forget who I really am on the inside and become more like these people around me, life will be easier. Well, if that's you, then this letter of James is for you. It's written to scattered Christians who are finding following Jesus hard. This letter of James is, I think of it as essential wisdom for followers of Jesus. And today we get to hear James' first bit of essential wisdom. And this is what I think this passage is about in a nutshell. Listen, it's to learn to welcome trials as friends. Listen to J.B. Phillips' version of verse 2. It says, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Now, the word for trials is the same word for temptation down in verses 13 and 14. Trials can be temptations, and temptations are always trials. James says that when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, into your life, we need to learn not to resent them as intruders, but to welcome them as friends. So I wonder what has come knocking on your door recently. I guess back in March, COVID-19 knocked on all our doors, didn't it? We've all had to face this trial together. But what else? You know, you hear a door, a knock at the door of your life. You open it and standing there is terminal illness, maybe chronic illness. It might be an unreasonable boss. You hear something bashing at the door of your life. You open it and standing there is unemployment or some long-standing temptation that you've just never been quite able to conquer. 
James says, believe it or not, the place to find joy when this happens is not to slam the door shut and hope it goes away. Knowing the words of J.B. Phillips, we are to welcome each and every trial as a friend. Well, I guess by now I've got your attention. My hope is that you don't just leave. Because <laughs> um, I, I, we need to hear what James says. This is God's wisdom for us as followers of Jesus. James answers two important questions that I think arise. And one is, who on earth welcomes trials as friends? And how on earth can we welcome trials as friends? So first question, who welcomes trials as friends? Well, that's easy you say, idiots and masochists. But James says, no. Now, if you're a Christian, then I'm talking to you. <laughs> Look down at verse 18. Um, he's talking to Christians. It says, he, that is God, has chosen to give us birth, new birth, through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. Is that you? Have you been reborn? Have you been given new life from God through the word of the gospel? Well, this word from James is for you. It's for us. We don't belong here, but God has put us here to demonstrate, to bear fruit, that there is a new and different life from God. God's plan for us is that we deal with difficulty different than those around us, that we bear fruit for God, which shines like the noonday sun out of the darkness of our trials. Who welcomes trials as friends? Well, it's Christians. But James has a bit more to say than just that. James says that um, it is people who stop and think who can welcome trials as friends. Look at verse 2. It starts with the word consider. In other words, stop and think. This is often the last thing we want to do when we hit difficulty. Something goes wrong and the first thing we want to do is scream or blame or just run away and hide. But James says, stop and think. Um, thoughtfulness is what's important. And thinking and thoughtfulness is threaded all the way through this passage. Look down at verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. Verse 8. Don't be double-minded. Verse 16. Don't be deceived. Verse 18. Be reborn by the word of God. You see, it's not idiots and masochists who find joy in trials, but people who think. People who apply wisdom to their trials. People who aren't deceived by them. Who welcomes trials as friends? Well, James says it's people with purpose. See, the fact is that there are lots of people who don't just put up with pain, they welcome it. Now, I'm a bit of a meathead, so I love rugby league. And the rugby league season is nearly over, but before each season begins, there is the pre-season training. And it's known as pre-season torture. But strangely enough, the serious players welcome the pain, the torture. Isaac Yeo plays first grade for the Penrith Panthers. He says pre-season is torture, but we need it because we need to get fit. 
For the first two or three weeks, we do 2.5 kilometer time trials. So they're probably the most miserable sessions. 2.5 kilometer time, time trials. Well, but you see, Isaiah, Isaiah Yo has his sights set on playing first grade. That is his purpose. So he welcomes the torture and misery of pre-season trials. He welcomes these trials as friends because without them, he won't achieve his goal of playing uh, first grade. Well, that illustrates what James is saying to us. Verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Is it your purpose to grow as a Christian, to be mature, complete, a, a follower of Jesus that doesn't lack anything? Well, you need to start thinking differently about the difficulties in your life. Look down at verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now that word test there in verse 2 and in verse 12 carries the idea of proving, of examining something to make sure it's genuine. To test money is not counterfeit. It's put over an infrared light. Well, God's infrared light for your faith is the trouble that comes your way. When that happens, what do you do? Do you tuck tail and run? Do you give up or give in? Do you whinge and whine and complain? And you need to start seeing difficulty as an opportunity to exercise the muscles of your faith. And in so doing, you will strengthen it. Who welcomes trials as friends? Well, it's the Christian with purpose, the believer who looks ahead and considers that the crown of life that the Lord has promised is the greatest purpose in life. That a person who has been given new life wants to glorify God by bearing fruit for him. I wonder, do you think that you can achieve that goal without going through trials? We all look for shortcuts, don't we? Do you think there's a shortcut? Well, please understand that there is no shortcut. Look at verse 2. He says, whenever you meet trials of many kinds. Notice it's not if you meet them, but whenever you meet them, you will meet them. And it won't be just one or two things. No, you'll experience many kinds of trials. Jesus said that to follow him meant difficulty. Whoever would follow me must take up his cross and follow me. Not take up your esky and your deck chair. No shortcuts. 2 Timothy 3.12 Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. James is saying that you will suffer. You will face trials. The question is, what are you going to do with your trials when they come knocking on your door? We know what the world does. It pursues every possible way of avoiding them. As a culture, I think we think that comfort is a personal right and therefore every difficulty is completely unacceptable. You see, it isn't idiots who welcome trials. No, it's idiots who think you can avoid them. 
But for us, the grace of, by the grace of God, the suffering and trials that come our way can actually strengthen our faith and develop perseverance and steadfastness with the result that we will become more mature, will grow, become more complete as Christians, more like Christ. Friends, when trials come knocking, we must be people who learn to see them as an opportunity to become more and more the person God saved us to be. But my next question is, I think, the big one. How can we welcome trials as friends? It's an incredibly unnatural and countercultural thing to welcome difficulty. So how do we do this? Well, firstly, it's by asking God for wisdom. Verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Wisdom is that combination of knowledge and skill which allows you to, to make the best of life. We all instinctively want to be want wisdom, don't we? That's why we listen to people in lab coats. We take notice of the bloke with the graph behind him or the professor in his study. We listen up because we think this person will give me wisdom. But the fact is that God is the source of all true wisdom. Proverbs 2 verse 6 says, For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Wisdom comes from God. That's because God created the world he know, in which we live. He knows how it works. God created me. He knows what's best for me. God sees eternity and he knows what awaits us. God also sees straight into our self-deceived sinful hearts and knows how and why we get things so wrong. Wisdom resides with God. If you want it, you need to ask him. The great news is that God is generous with his wisdom and doesn't pick winners. He gives generously without finding fault, the passage says. Imagine for a moment, um, all of us are on our knees asking God for wisdom. He doesn't sit up there and go, well, you know, I won't give Steve any more wisdom. He's had his fair share. And I don't like the way Sharon's dressed today, so she's not getting any. And, but I'll give Fred some because, well, he's my favourite for this week. God is not like that. God looks at us and he knows that none of us are winners. In fact, we're all losers. He knows that every one of us needs wisdom. The fact is that God is waiting for all of us to ask him for wisdom and he will give it. That's what God is like. He is good and he is your father and longs to help you. You know, as a father myself, wisdom is the one thing that I love to give my kids. You know, I get a phone call. Hey, Dad, I need your advice on something or I want to know what you think about this. I drop everything and give them my full attention. Well, that's what God's like. Do you want to be able to welcome the unavoidable trials of your life and deal with them well? Do you want to be wise? You need to ask God for wisdom and he will give it to you. He promises. How do we welcome trials as friends? Asking God for wisdom, but by not doubting or being double-minded. Verse 8. I think here's where we hit a very big snag in the search of wisdom. See, there's a reason why we don't ask God for wisdom 
And it's because we often don't like the wisdom he gives us. In fact, I would say that you are almost certainly not going to like God's advice. And that's precisely because it is wise. I think James helps us see that by dropping into this section a bit of godly wisdom for us. I wonder if you like it. Just look at 9 to 11. It says, Believers in humble circumstances, that is someone who is not rich, uh, the poor, ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed in the same way the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Did you like that bit of wisdom from God? There's a good chance you won't because it's the exact opposite of our culture's wisdom. God says, if you are rich, you need to understand that you aren't in a very good place at all. But if you're not rich, if you're poor, um, not even on the bottom of the, you know, the social ladder, then you need to be encouraged because you're in a great place. God says the rich should acknowledge their humiliation and that the poor should acknowledge their exaltation. Does anyone like that idea? That if I ask God for wisdom, the one thing he doesn't have in mind for me is to make me rich. So what happens when we ask God for wisdom? Well, we're tempted to doubt him. Or when we ask him, we're in two minds. We come to God double-minded. We know what God says is right, but we actually prefer the world's wisdom. We're thinking in two ways. Look at verse 6. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. When you get God's wisdom from the Bible or from a wise friend or a good book, don't doubt it when it comes. Trust it, obey it, put it into practice. Don't doubt and walk away. James 1.22 says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you doubt and are double-minded, James, James says, you will be carried away by the wind and the waves of your troubles. You will continue in your instability. You will never mature. You will bear no fruit. But here's the rub. If you take God's wisdom on board, if you are single-minded and trusting, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult because that'll mean you'll change. You'll repent. That means you'll grow. There'll be growing pains. You see, it's actually a trial to follow God's advice. It's hard to follow Jesus. But through it all, you will mature, so we can welcome this trial as a friend, can't we? Next, And then what will happen is that next time you ask God for wisdom, you'll be in a better place to take it. Experience will have taught you to follow God's advice. You see, to not doubt God... To not be double-minded is to be someone who will welcome trials as friends. 
Well, this takes us to the next thing in the passage about how it is that we can welcome trials as friends. It's simply by trusting in God's goodness. Look down at verses 13 to 18. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged along by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. I wonder, have you ever doubted God's goodness? I'd be very surprised if you had never done that. You know, when sickness or mental illness or tragedy or death strikes, it's easy to think that God, that maybe God is uncaring after all. When strong temptation hits, when there is something or someone you like, it or they are better, newer, nicer than what you've got, it or appear to be so good to you that it's easy to think that God is not good but he's mean. He would let me have it. If God was good, he wouldn't even be letting me be tempted by this. James says, in that moment, don't be deceived about yourself and about God. God has no hand in sin or temptation. God is good. In fact, he defines goodness. He defines what is good. The values of our world will constantly change, but God doesn't change like shifting shadows. So what is truly good doesn't change. Don't be deceived about God. If he says it's bad, it's bad by definition. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong by definition. And on the other hand, if it comes from him, if he agrees with his word, if he says it's good, it's good by definition. So you see, the temptation you face is not the problem. In fact, it can be good for you. That is, if you approach it trusting in God's own goodness and following his word instead of your own evil desire. Life will come from God because God is good and wise. But don't be fooled about yourself. If you are tempted, if you allow your desires to be your advisor instead of God, then you will be dragged away and this time you'll give birth to death. Which do you want? Life or death? Heaven or hell? Fruit pleasing to God or the foul offspring of sin condemned by God? At the start of the talk, when I said that you should welcome trials as friends, you may have thought I was joking, but I wasn't. I'm not joking, because that's what James is saying. This is his wisdom from God to help those who are following Jesus. Friends, trials and temptations cannot be avoided, but they can be the source of deep-seated joy if you approach them trusting in God's goodness, if you follow God's wisdom through the trials you face. As we finish, why, not, why don't you write down on a piece of paper the biggest trial you're facing at the moment in your life and consider it during the week. Consider what God's wisdom may be. Talk to a friend about it. Learn how to use that trial to grow more and more like Christ. 
learn how to use that trial to strengthen your Christian life as a follower of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, Hebrews 12 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children for what children are not disciplined by their father. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Lord God, please give us the humility and the wisdom to hear your word, to believe it, to follow it, to become doers of it, not just hearers. Lord, please strengthen us, we pray, not only through your word, but through the trials of life, so that we may glorify you and be a greater encouragement to one another. Amen.